Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What are you looking for? Come and see. Amen. Earlier this week, I was preparing for a chapel that I was leading for about 150 middle schoolers. I do this most weeks on Wednesdays at Holy Trinity School in Bowie, Maryland. And some of our prayers and my homily this week focused on the life and witness of Dr. King. So I found myself rereading the last speech that he gave. It was given on April 3rd, 1968, and it's really powerful in a lot of ways. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke that night at Mason Temple in Memphis while a spring thunderstorm was going on outside. And he was there to support sanitation workers who were striking for fair working conditions. After spending over a decade working to dismantle segregation practices, King's main focus in the late 1960s was on poverty and opposing the Vietnam War. And it's the closing paragraph of that speech that's probably the most famous. There he talks about that while there are difficult days ahead, he has been to the mountaintop and he has seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, he says, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Knowing that he will be dead less than 24 hours later, reading these words or hearing him speak them, it's remarkable, it's poignant, it's palpable. But it was a line from earlier in the night that jumped out at me this week. King says to his listeners, let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness dangerous unselfishness. That in so many ways is really the antithesis of the American way, a way that yearns for more, better, safer, stronger, the best for me and mine. Developing a dangerous unselfishness, though, that is at the heart of the way of Jesus. In our gospel reading this morning, we first hear John the Baptist telling us who Jesus is. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one that I've been telling you about. This is the Son of God. The next day, John again sees Jesus walking by and he says, Here is the Lamb of God. This time, two of John's disciples are with him. We know that Andrew was one of them. The other one isn't given a name. And when, we, when, when they hear John say this, they start to follow Jesus. I want to take just a brief little detour away from the story to hover over this title of the Lamb of God that John the Baptist is saying. Why does it resonate so strongly with Andrew and the other disciple in such a way to make them start following Jesus? Why do we still use this title in our worship today? You heard it just a few moments ago as we sang the Gloria. You'll hear it again after the breaking of the bread at communion. Jesus being called the Lamb of God evokes a couple of things. It evokes the Exodus story and a passage from Isaiah. In Exodus, the Passover lamb was killed 
it was eaten, and the blood from it was put on the doorposts as a sign to spare those inside from the final plague that God brought to the Egyptians. Connecting Jesus to this story isn't so much to say that he's a sin offering, but it is to help us see Jesus as a protector, as a provider of sustenance, just as those first Passover lambs were. Maybe hearing John call Jesus the Lamb of God brought up for the disciples words like those in Isaiah 53. There, verses describe the suffering servant. And the suffering servant is someone that Christians have come to interpret as Jesus. It says the suffering servant is to be like a lamb that is led to slaughter and whose life was made an offering for sin. So being called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's evoking a liberation, a kind of taking away of shackles. Here is the one, John said, who is ringing in a new kind of exodus because there is a captivity that is deeper and broader than the ones that the Israelites in Egypt were beholden to. And this is the one who's here to free us from that captivity, the captivity of sin and all that holds us back from being who God created us to be. He is, as Andrew will soon say, the Messiah, the anointed one. All right, let's go back to the story. So Andrew and John's other disciple, they start to follow Jesus, and Jesus notices them following him. And so he turns and he asks them, what are you looking for? Teacher, rabbi, they say, where are you staying? This seems to imply we want to know so that we can come and learn from you. We want to spend time with you. Come and see, Jesus says. He gives them an invitation. Come see for yourselves. Be a part of this. See if I am what you're looking for. And he is. What's pretty remarkable when you think about it is that accounts of these first interactions with Jesus and the folks who will be his future disciples, these encounters set in motion what leads you and me to be here at St. John's this very moment. John's words, look, here is the Lamb of God. That leads to Jesus' simple and life-changing come and see. And from there on, it's been hundreds, thousands, millions of come and see moments since. Someone invited you somewhere along the way to come and see. They told you a story about Jesus. They introduced you to the Bible. They invited you to church. In this story, Peter will be next. A few verses later, it's Philip and Nathaniel. It's one relationship, one story, one encounter with Jesus at a time that we could trace like a thread meandering forward to this very morning. You're here. And maybe you've come to come and see Jesus either in the hymns that we sing, the scripture we're hearing read, or in the bread and wine that we'll share in a few moments. Maybe it's in the relationships that you've built in this community. Or maybe you're here today because your spouse strongly encouraged you to be here. Or maybe your parent told you you had to be here. Maybe you were curious about the speaker series that we had today. Or it's your New Year's resolution to try to come to church more. Or you really just wanted to come visit the Church of the Presidents. And maybe you're not really sure and you can't put your finger on what has brought you here today. But here you are, and we're here. 
And Jesus, the Lamb of God, is asking you, what are you looking for? Jesus is inviting you to come and see what he is doing and to come be a part of it. Now, for many of you, you've already seen. You've had moments where you've realized that Jesus is the one that you're looking for. And if you've experienced the liberating love of God through Christ, then this is a reminder. This story is a reminder that you need to tell stories about that. You don't need a bullhorn or to hold a rally in the park across the street. Maybe you could just tell your child or your grandchild about how you as a family try to be loving and courageous because that's the kind of life Jesus calls us to live, to lead. Or you could tell a friend about your experience on Christmas Eve during worship. Maybe this week when you're asked, so what are you doing this weekend? You could say that you're helping out at Grace's table because Jesus was really big on making sure that people were fed and that people felt seen. Once you tell one story about what you've come to see in Jesus, it gets easier to tell another one. And with each story, a new stitch is added to that thread of come and see moments that trace back to Jesus' words to Andrew and his friend. Now, it's not for you and it's not for me to worry about saving someone's soul or trying to tell a story about Jesus that's just right so that maybe we can convince them to come to St. John's one Sunday. Jesus has the whole saving thing down, and the Holy Spirit is pretty good at getting up to holy mischief on her own. We don't have to worry about where that story is going to lead or how it's going to land with someone else. We just have to be real and honest and tell part of our story. We have to share about the ways that we have seen Jesus because from the start, Jesus' ministry was an invitation to participation, and that's still true today. Let us develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness, Dr. King said one evening in April. Jesus embodied dangerous unselfishness from his birth in a humble manger to his death on a cross and in every relationship that he built along the way. Jesus' way of love showed people like Dr. King how to lead a civil rights movement that would transform our nation one boycott, one march, one arrest, one prayer at a time. What might that kind of dangerous unselfishness look like in our neighborhoods, in our nation, in our world today? Look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What are you looking for? Come and see. Amen. <laughs>